Welcome to the Real Truth Matters podcast. I'm Dan Harder, your host. The RTM podcast is all about showing you how to live in biblical spirituality, demonstrating where the Bible and real life intersect. And now, here's Real Truth Matters founder and director, Michael Durham. Thanks, Dan. And to you who are taking time to listen to this podcast, we thank you and welcome to episode 25. I have a favor to ask. If you'd take a quick moment, pause the podcast, and go to your podcast homepage, and there give us a rating. Tell us what you like about the podcast and how we can improve it. That little act will help this podcast get more visibility on the podcast platforms we are on. And so I just want to thank you for doing that. Well, hopefully you have unpaused me and we're ready to go. Today, we want to tackle the subject of what prayer is comprised of. What are the components in conversing with God? What does prayer look like? Once knowing what it looks like, then we will ask and hopefully answer, how is that accomplished? So let me begin by saying prayer is conversation and communion with the Lord God through the Word of God and by the Holy Spirit. I've maintained this through our podcast on prayer and That's for my benefit. God created prayer because I need to pray. Prayer is for our profit. It isn't for our fathers. God made us to need to express ourselves to Him in order to be satisfied in Him. It's just like marriages. Husbands, God made your bride with a need to express her heart to you, and she's so satisfied in that expression when you listen. God has so wired all of us In a very similar way, we need to talk to God. We were made for it. And for this reason, while prayer is sometimes difficult, it's as natural as breathing. To the true Christian, prayer is as natural as breathing is to a newborn babe. Now, we find in Scripture methods of prayer, or perhaps better said, different kinds of prayer. The first kind of prayer is petitioning. This is the most well-known component of prayer. Petitioning is to bring requests to God. It's to seek something from Him, believing Him to be gracious to give. This is one of the forms of speaking to the Lord. In 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, we have one of the most exceptional promises of God, and it concerns the subject of petitioning prayer. Here's what the Apostle John said. Now, this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything, According to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. What a promise! We are guaranteed from the Word of God that if we ask anything that is His will, not only does the Lord hear us, but He will grant the petition. Now, certainly, this is positive proof that our God intends for us to bring our request to Him through the medium of prayer. Our Lord Jesus proved this when He gave instructions on how we should pray. He restores the purpose of prayer in what is normally but erroneously called the Lord's Prayer. One of His disciples asked of Him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught His disciples. And Jesus replied, When you pray, say. And from that moment on, He gave what all Christians have come to recognize, quote, unquote, the Lord's Prayer. What a strange name for instruction on prayer. 
The Lord Jesus wasn't telling his disciples to pray rote prayers, nor was he reciting a prayer that he prayed. Therefore, the name the Lord's Prayer is a terrible misnomer that has led to the harm of prayer instead of to the help of prayer. In place of calling it the Lord's Prayer, we should think of it as an outline to a specific kind of prayer. Jesus was modeling for his disciples what prayer looks like, and then secondly, the kinds of things of which prayer is concerned or ought to be. In this outline, we see the major categories for prayer. These are the things the Lord desires for us to fellowship with him about. What I want you to see is that the bulk of our Lord's prayer outline is petitions. This is the kind of prayer our Lord deals with in answer to the request, teach us to pray. There are other kinds of prayer. There is the prayer of thanksgiving where no petitions are presented. Thanksgiving is a prayer of giving God our gratitude for what he has done. And there's the prayer of praise or adoration. This is praying that recognizes God's greatness. Praise is to give to another the recognition of someone's qualities. Adoration is the act of reverence and admiration. And so, it's an expression of our love to God. Well, these are the three kinds of prayer found in Scripture. Today, I'm only discussing the prayer of petition. Now, let's look at this starting in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. And as we go through this instruction on prayer, please note how many of the categories of prayer are petitions. In this lesson on prayer, Jesus lists the categories of our needs in the form of an outline. That's what this is. It's an outline. He begins in verse 9. In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven. Our Lord begins with an expression of worship. He acknowledges God as Father, and that's a term of endearment. This is an act of adoration. And also in verse 9, he continues, hallowed be thy name. This is a petition, and that's the first of six petitions. It's a request that our Father's name would be hallowed or to be made holy, meaning that it would be revered by men. It's a prayer that God would be set apart and worshiped as he so deserves. It's not to be interpreted as saying that God's name is holy, but that it would be considered holy by all. Thus, it is a petition. Verse 10, your kingdom come. Well, that's another petition. Again, verse 10, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Another petition. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Yet another request. And verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Again, another petition. And then we come to verse 13. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Here, we have two requests in one. It's one request, really, a request to be holy. Don't lead us into temptation and deliver us from the evil one. And finally, the last sentence. Jesus ends the outline the way he began. No petition, but a statement of adoration and worship. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So, as you can see, the majority of our Lord's instruction on prayer is making petition of God. Pure and simple, prayer is mainly a means of asking, and the asking covers different areas of life. You get the feeling as you go through this outline that our Lord was pleading with his disciples 
to ask. Start asking. You have not because you ask not. In Luke 11, this same model or outline of prayer is recorded. And there in Luke, after Jesus shares this information with his students, he almost seems to earnestly implore them to just come with their petitions. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. Again, it seems that our Lord was almost pleading with his disciples. Come on, man, ask. Make your request known. The grammar of verses 9 and 10 of Luke 11 is, everyone who keeps asking, who keeps seeking, who keeps knocking, is the one who receives. For him or her who is not shy about asking and asks in faith, their prayers will be answered. Is this not the message of all of sacred writ? David said in Psalm 34, 6, This poor man cried out to the Lord, and the Lord heard him and saved him from all his troubles. The Apostle Paul commands us in Philippians 4, 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. He says, in everything, we're to let our requests be made known to God. You and I should never be afraid to bring any and all requests to Him. Asking for things seems to be so important to the Lord that throughout the Bible, He tells us to petition Him. The Bible presents this to us without giving us a hint that God is some genie in a bottle or that prayer is some kind of Aladdin's lamp. No, he's not a genie to give us our every desire, nor is prayer a magical lamp that grants wishes. But that doesn't mean that bringing every request to the Lord should be avoided in the name of biblical piety. For when you ask God in prayer about anything, you are bringing to God your needs, and you're bringing God to bear upon those needs and issues of your life. Having seen, I hope, that petitioning is a huge part of prayer, let's dive a little deeper into Jesus' outline of prayer, and let me direct your attention to the general construction of this prayer. All of man's needs are listed in this prayer. There are nine areas of your life that summarizes all of your needs. Verse 8 is the context. In Matthew, Chapter 6, verse 8, he says, Therefore do not be like them, that is, the pagans. For your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. Therefore, because God knows what you need before you ask Him, Jesus is showing how we ought to pray and what the real needs are. And as you run through this little instruction on prayer that is just a remarkable few sentences, you'll say, well, I don't see all of my needs listed there, but dear friend, they are there. What you think is your need may not really be a need. I can assure you all of life's needs are summarized in these nine areas of life and in these six petitions. So let's go through this entire prayer. The first need that our Lord begins with is relationship with God, our Father in heaven. That, my friend, is your number one need. And see how tender. This is all put in two words, our Father. Now, some of you don't relate to the term Father or the concept of the fatherhood of God because 
of an earthly father that you may not have known or one who was abusive. But let me help you. Your heavenly father is 10 trillion times better than the best dead on this earth. Your earthly father is not even worthy to be compared to God, and God's not worthy to be compared to your earthly father. He's so far above him. The father is not evil. He's never done wrong towards you, nor will he. He is a tender father, and you can pray our father in the same spirit and attitude that Jesus prayed it. Prayer is, as I've said before, the practice of your relationship with God. And at the very outset of our Lord's instruction on prayer, He directs our hearts to God and that very relationship. It's a relationship of father-child. Now, God is our judge, but we don't pray nor relate to him predominantly as a judge, but as our father. This is the most important relationship we have, and it's the greatest need we have to be rightly related to God. My second need is to worship God. Hallowed be your name. You're made to worship, and you do worship. Everyone worships. Some worship the latest celebrity, home, status, reputation, or recreation. Some of us worship ourselves. That's the idolatry we're all guilty of. Jesus said, hallowed be your name. You were made to worship God. And therefore, in order to be satisfied, you ought to revere God as the most significant person in your life. That's what he's getting at here. And that's why Christians who backslide are unfulfilled and miserable because God is not their ballast, the center of their gravity. He's not the most important person in their life. Their world is revolving around themselves rather than Christ. Oh, hallowed be your name. Third, the rule of God is needed. Your kingdom come. Now, where is the kingdom of God? And the answer is, wherever God is allowed to rule, we need the rule of God. And wherever that rule is visible, manifested, there's the kingdom of God. And we know that he rules all things, and he rules all things well. But in some places, at some times, we don't see that rule manifested. And so he instructs us to pray that God's kingdom would come, the full manifestation of it. Fourth. We also need the will of God. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not only do I need God's authority in my life, I need to know what he wants from me. Fifth, we also need the personal, physical provision he gives. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, this would encompass all of our physical and basic needs for survival. Number six, our sixth basic need is for personal forgiveness. Forgive us our debts. The fact that I am redeemed doesn't mean I don't have the capacity to sin. Only in heaven is that capacity removed. Therefore, I still need forgiveness. Seven, you and I need personal mercy to forgive others as we forgive our debtors. Our world has fallen, and it's occupied with fallen people who sin. Sometimes they sin against you and me, and we need personal mercy to forgive them. Number eight, we need personal holiness. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Holy people are the happiest people. 
A sincere believer who's walking according to the scriptures is the most joyful, fulfilled, and happy person you can meet. Well, number nine, you and I need personal acknowledgement of the sovereignty of God. Look how he ends the prayer. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Why do I need to personally acknowledge the sovereignty of God? My first answer may seem too obvious, but sometimes it's so obvious we forget it. It's because He is God. We need to acknowledge and bow down to His authority because that's who He is and that's what He deserves. But second, there are things in this life I just cannot explain. The only peace that will assure my heart in the hour of difficulty is that God rules sovereignly when life hurls at you questions that defy human logic. You need to acknowledge that God knows and He has everything under His benevolent control. Well, lastly, I want to direct your attention and spend the remainder of our time on the nature of the petitions we find in this instruction on how to pray. They're all petitions for one thing, God's glory. This prayer contains six petitions, and they're divided into two halves. In the first half, Jesus tells us to pray that God will glorify His name, our Father, hallowed be Your name. That is a petition which requests that God would make His name great. Secondly, Your kingdom come is, as we've already said, it's a petition for God to establish His rule. In this chaotic world of sin and futility, O Lord, bring Your rule to bear. Let Your throne of truth and peace purify the earth. And the last petition in this first half is, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The prayer is, Lord, as the angels in heaven obey You, so let men obey You on this earth. These three petitions are full of truth and are heavy enough to anchor your soul. So I pray that you'll see this is why Jesus is restoring prayer to its proper place in our lives. Prayer is not about impressing people, nor is it about getting things from God just for our sake. It's about God. And if my life is God-centered, anchored in God, my great concern will be God's glory. Friend, if God's glory is not your preoccupation and passion, I suggest to you as graciously as I can that your life is not in proper order. We're here for God's glory, not ours. We are created and saved by the blood of Jesus so we can be reunited with the purpose for which we were made, the glory of God. Your greatest need is not just to escape hell, for even your escape of hell is for God's glory, not just your comfort. Now, in the last three petitions, Jesus tells us to pray that we will glorify God's name, we, you and me. God is sovereign doing anything He desires, but He desires not to do some things without involving you and me. There's a responsibility we must fulfill. We need the work of God's glory in our small, ordinary lives, and we are to pray that in our small, ordinary lives, God's glory will be seen. Now, let me show you how to do that. First, you glorify God by trusting God to provide for your physical needs. Give us this day our daily bread. 
to sincerely pray this, I am admitting that I'm not able to supply everything I or my family needs. Now, you might say, wait a minute, I work, I get a paycheck, I'm capable. But, sir, how is it that you're able to rise out of your bed and go to a job and perform those tasks? You're only able by the grace and the mercy of God. So when we pray, give me this day my daily bread, I'm saying, Lord, here's my need. Here's my family's need. I'm acknowledging I have certain inabilities. I have limitations. But you have all the ability. So I say from our Lord's instruction that you and I need to acknowledge our need for God's supply. And by doing so, we glorify him. Because as God supplies your needs, he's magnified as being faithful. Well, God's glory can also be seen second by acknowledging your sin and forgiving the sin of others. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Here you are acknowledging your need for forgiveness. If we say, says John the Apostle, that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us, 1 John 1.8. This week, I think it's safe to say every one of us have sinned at least once. I only wish it was once. I don't need to act like I didn't sin or that it's not a problem. I need to acknowledge it. When I acknowledge my sin, God is glorified because He's seen as merciful, forgiving me of my sin. And when we are merciful to those who sins against us, well, we also glorify God. We show that by being merciful that we desire to be like God, who is merciful. Imitation is a form of worship, but it's more than mere imitation. We forgive others by the power of being forgiven by God, His Forgiveness is the fuel that motivates us to forgive those who sin against us. Well, third, we glorify God by praying to live a holy life. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. To acknowledge that you cannot be holy without God only glorifies God as being faithful and gracious to you to help you. Not only must you acknowledge your sins, but also your sinfulness. I need to believe and confess I'm not capable of walking in a perfect holiness without God's help. There's still flaws and weaknesses about me that keep me from being absolutely conformed to His image. I need the grace of God. Who am I to think I can live for God? Who am I to believe that I'm capable of pleasing this infinite, omnipotent, omniscient God? Who am I to think I can even walk like Jesus on this earth? We can't and we ought not to think that we can. We need to acknowledge God and say, Lord, protect me from the evil one. I'm no match for him. You, you keep me from the hour of temptation. And if your will requires I to be tempted, then I know you will provide a way of escape for you promised. You'll not allow me to be tempted beyond what I'm able. Well, friend, these are our needs. And these six things do the very first thing that's listed in this prayer. They make God's name great. And this is the genius of this prayer instruction. The beauty of this prayer is it's God-centered. My life is to flow into and out of God-centeredness. 
and he should be glorified in me so that his name will be made great as I seek him in these crucial areas, in fact, all the areas of my life. We spend too much time asking God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? If we would just be more God-focused, if we would be more taken by his beauty and greatness, I think it'd become very obvious what we're supposed to do. I confess to you, that one of my inadequacies in my prayer life has been spending way too much time asking God for direction instead of just beholding His perfection. I would suggest that's what Jesus is trying to teach us here. Prayer is not about getting your needs met for the sake of the needs. He already knows what you need, and He's a good Father who loves us. No, Prayer is not about impressing yourself because you pray at least 30 minutes a day and read your Bible. Prayer is about getting your heart God-centered, anchored in Him for that day by beholding Him and His faithfulness to you. Let's focus on His greatness, the greatness of His name, establishing His kingdom in our lives by glorifying Him in your neediness. You show. He's great and merciful. I think that is the great instruction of our Lord Jesus concerning prayer. Well, that's about all the time we have today. If you have any questions, just send us an email. Address it to web at realtruthmatters.com. That's web at realtruthmatters.com. Real Truth Matters is all one word. Now, please include your name. We'll never use someone's full name on the air, but we do want to give one special questioner a signed copy of my book, The Fight of Faith. On behalf of all of us here at Real Truth Matters Ministries, thank you for tuning in, and may the Lord richly bless you with His love in a real and tangible way. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Truth Matters podcast. I hope you can see that Christianity is profoundly experiential, but always based on the objective truth of Scripture. If you have questions or comments, please send them to our email address, web at realtruthmatters.com. That's web at realtruthmatters.com. Real Truth Matters podcast, dedicated to biblical spirituality, demonstrating where the Bible and real life intersect.